Before we proceed, a quick trigger warning. This episode does touch on delicate subjects like suicide and family death. Welcome to this week's episode of Best Camp of My Life, a podcast about MMA. Kind of, but not really, but kind of. This is your host, Fernanda Prates, unless I've been possessed by the ghost of infamous carnival worker and ill-tempered murderer Grady Franklin Stiles Jr., aka The Lobster Boy. In which case, this is the bodily vessel of your host, Fernanda Prates, now inhabited by nothing but darkness and evil. Apologies for any inconvenience. In any case, that's a problem for that clandestine laboratory. What's relevant to us is that either I or my final scrap of humanity made the smart decision to reach out to you on Twitter and ask for your help in making today's episode. I asked for questions, and you came through with clever, thoughtful inquiries, as well as some of the dumbest shit I've heard in my entire life. And honestly, I don't know which one is more appreciated. Thank you all for being so kind and weird and thoroughly lacking in scruples or common sense. I really do feel like I found my people. From which unarmed fighter I would pick to help me escape a riot situation to an absolutely unwarranted attack on Tagliatelli, this one has a little bit for everyone. Unless you are a supporter of the Proud Boys, in which case there is nothing for you here or anywhere near civilized society. For the rest of you, Here's Best Camp of My Life's first Q&A episode. Enjoy it, or don't, just please never join white supremacist militias. I'm going to kick it off with a question by Gabriel Gonzalez, who, by the way, is a great interviewer uh, and person that you guys should be following on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. But uh, he asked me this thoroughly amazing question. If you were to enter a zombie apocalypse tomorrow, which three fighters would you want with you? Bonus, would it be different from the squad you'd want with you to survive the purge? Amazing question, no words. Um, first off, and this is a no-brainer, Israel Adesanya. Because not only is he obviously good at fighting, but he's also a nerd and therefore probably well-versed in zombie lore. Uh, second would be Valentina Shevchenko because she's cold, calculated, knows how to shoot guns and has possibly been trained for this very occasion by secret government forces. Uh, the third would be Angela Hill because she would help protect me, but would also make it fun. As for those I would like to survive the purge with me, I'm thinking these are people I might want to keep around for also more emotional reasons. Like people who did help me keep the spirits up, lighten the mood, perhaps help me retrieve conscience altering substances. So uh, no offense, but I would trade Valentina for a tie to Vivasa. He just seems like a cool guy to hang out with. Um, now, next is an extremely important question, so pay attention to this one. It's from Luke Southworth. You're in a riot situation, but you can have one unarmed MMA fighter to help get you to safety. Who do you pick and why? Okay, so hear me out. Alexei 
Olenek. I'm thinking I want somebody who looks threatening, but not too threatening as to call too much attention to himself. He has kids, so I feel like he would have the right protective instincts. He has fought like hundreds of heavyweights, so it takes a lot to scare him. He's 43, so he's experienced enough not to make dumb choices, but he's also super fit. Uh, he's trained in Sambo. Uh, he looks like he's super kind, but also like he's seen some shit. And also, I am a, what one would call a big boned gal. So if I need to be carried, I need to make sure my protector wouldn't buckle under my weight. So a heavyweight just seems like the perfect fit. Um, next up is from Lanta Brown uh, or Lanta. I'm sorry if I'm, saying, if I'm saying it wrong because she's really cool and I don't want to disappoint her with my poor pronunciation. Uh, but anyway, she asks, can you tell me the story of which fighters are your personal favorites and why they particularly appeal to you slash how you got into them? Uh, this is a bit of a long one, but I, I guess the first person that really got me into MMA was Lyoto Machida. Um, I started really following the sport kind of at the same time as he was on his way up. And I was just really intrigued by everything, like the way he fought, which I thought was just so intelligent and measured, but also like powerful and the way he carried himself outside the cage too. Um, I don't know. There was always this like samurai aura about him. The whole thing with the karate being passed through to his family. There was always like some image of him doing kata on some scenic background. Like he was always on some 90s movies montage. And it all just really spoke to my inner nerd. Um, and then I ended up working for the UFC in Brazil for a while doing PR. And a lot of my job was dealing directly with fighters. Um, Leoto was one of those fighters and he was just as much of a sweetheart in person as he was on TV. So he's forever a fave. Um, my next one is no secret, uh, Damian Maya. And it goes back since before he even fought Anderson Silva. Like, um, I first interviewed him before that at the time he was still kind of early, uh, in his UFC career. I think he'd finished, I don't know, five people in a row before uh, he was knocked out by Nate Marquardt. And I remember just being so impressed by both his submission skills, of course, but um, just how thoughtful and kind he was. Um, I'm a softie like that. <laughs> and to me, there's always been a bit of a disconnect in a way between just his mellow personality and the fact that he is a professional cage fighter. Um, I also ended up dealing with him directly a lot and he really is just like that in real life. Um, I was also fortunate enough to be able to write this big profile on him for The Athletic. And I heard about his upbringing, uh, how he had anger issues growing up, which now just sounds insane. Um, and just what it took for him to get to where he is. Um, and one small interesting thing that I noticed is how he would never like just casually mention people in his life, even when it had nothing to do with the story. Like whenever he would bring up a new character, uh, quote unquote, he would give me the names, uh, you know, quirks, characteristics of that person, all of them, even the ones he mentioned in passing. And it seems silly, but it's the kind of thing that makes you feel like, oh, this is a person who cares. Um, and just his career, like he's lived so many lives in the UFC. I really admire just how he never stopped growing as a fighter, but how he never really 
allowed himself to get caught up in the noise or lose his personality despite being in the game for so long. Um, there's Chris Cyborg. I think she's just an outstanding wrecking ball of a fighter, but the amount of sexist bullshit she had to go through uh, before establishing herself as one of the top MMA fighters of any gender in the world is just astounding. I won't go too deep into that, but uh, because I've talked about her so often, but like the first episode of my previous podcast, well, actually was dedicated to her journey specifically for a reason. I just think she's an admirable uh, athlete and woman. Uh, Jose Aldo, not just because of his fighting style, which I still love, but just his authenticity, his swagger, you could say. He's just so Brazilian. Like His story is so rich. He really did build himself up from nothing. Uh, and he's very much a representation uh, between that and just the way that he is uh, of what I think is coolest about Brazilian people. Uh, Media-wise... He can be a nightmare to get to. He's not the biggest fan of interviews. It can be very annoying. But once you do get a hold of him, he's always just a super nice person. And I just think it's a shame that his personality doesn't really translate to the U.S. audience um, like it does in Brazil. And finally, uh, out of the people I didn't really work with directly, um, Dominic Cruz is definitely a fighting favorite. I, I don't know. I've always just loved watching him. I've always been really mesmerized by his style. Um but then I, you know, uh, he had all that rough go with injuries and I just admired how he was able to overcome that and return. I can't imagine what it must be like to be so good in what you do and basically at the peak of doing it and then having to stop for years for something that is totally beyond your control. Um, yeah, I just think he's so strong for going through all of that. And like I said, a beautiful fighter to watch. Next up. Alan Murphy, who does amazing work with KSW, by the way, and is overall just super nice and great. You should give him a follow too. He asked me, which Expendables, Expendables movie is the better of the trilogy and why? And who would be your dream addition to the cast should a fourth happen? Um, uh, that's a trick question because The Expendables 2 has Van Damme and we already know that any movie that has Van Damme is just objectively better than any movie that doesn't have Van Damme. Um, that's science. Also, I really do think Van Damme vindicated himself in that role. He's just so good as the villain and he totally silenced the haters that keep saying he's a bad actor. He's been unjustly scorned all these years and I will gladly die on this hill. So yes, Expendables 2. As for the second part of the question, we need more women in this thing. Um, they got the guys covered. So I would put either Linda Hamilton or Sigourney Weaver, since the idea is to have like more truly iconic characters, but I wouldn't be mad at Pam Greer, Mila Jovovich, or Uma Thurman. Uh, still on that theme, Flashlight Eyes asks, favorite fight choreography slash fight scene in a film? Um, that's an impossible question, but the, uh, the raid, like the entire movie, basically. Uh, but I would give a shout out to the drug room scene and the final fight of the first movie. There are two, the raids, uh, with Mad Dog. Uh, also the famously unbroken restaurant scene in The Protector with Tony Ja, like 
it still boggles my mind just in terms of the amount of time and work that it took to get it done. Uh, honorable mentions would probably be the church fight scene in Kingsman and the home invasion scene in John Wick. And I'm sure I'm going to be beating myself up tomorrow for leaving something out, but such is life. Um, I will not mention another Vendem movie because I feel like you're going to get annoyed at me. And also there is a big piece coming out on Fanbyte today that revolves around Vendem. So check that out. Shameless plug. And I'm going to. Give the subject a rest for like five minutes, which is a lie because uh, another question related to him is going to show up in a bit. Uh, now for a timely one. David Castillo asks, can we crowdsource a bunch of studies to figure out how Rafael dos Anjos can survive when half of his DNA is made out of tungsten? The universe will never create a fighter as tough or raw as RDA. A $2 stake in human form. Respect always and forever. That was beautiful. Um, and I agree. And not just physically, right? I just think that RDA's mindset is very admirable too. Um, I honestly don't remember who he was that said it on Twitter these days, but I saw someone talking about how impressive his sort of un unwavering self-confidence is. And I absolutely agree with that. Uh, he went from being lightweight champion to losing two in a row. Then he moved up a division, won three, dropped two in a row, row again, won again, lost two again. And I mean, of course, there's no shame in losing to guys like Tony Ferguson and Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards. But I, I would imagine that would rattle uh, a fighter's self-confidence a little bit or just you know, make them waver in their self-belief. And uh, it doesn't seem like it did for Rafael. He seems as convinced of his skills and of his ability to, you know, be a champion as he was when he was, in fact, a champion. And I frankly think that's pretty badass. Uh, the next question is, all, is still on the RDA topic. Um, Sassy Hugito, the Democratic Terrorist, uh, who's also one of my personal favorites on Twitter and social media in life, asks, in honor of Paul Felder and in mourning of the mustache that RDA once sported, what are some of the all-time great mustaches in MMA? That's, honestly, it's a big responsibility uh, to answer that one. Um, I'm afraid I'm just going to reiterate the obvious, but... Referee Mike Beltran, Ian McCall, Dan Severn, and Don Fry are the undeniable obvious choices. Uh, Patrick Cummings, he has some amazing facial hair all around, and he rocked the Bronson look for a while there, and it was just unparalleled. Big, big fan. Uh, I personally like Joe Duffy's understated mustache. You don't see he com him coming up in a lot of lists, and I think he's got, you know, just a quiet grace, a quiet dignity to that mustache. Uh, Machida? I don't know if I remember. He rocked a, a solid uh, one for a while there. I don't know how his facial situation is now, but um, I feel like that was a strong look for him. It gave him a little bit of an edge. He's too nice. So I feel like the the mustache really made him um, made it pop. Uh, Timothy Johnson, of course, uh, and AJ Matthews, both at Bellator. John Gunther, who was on Tough, uh, and I think he shaved alpacas for a living, which, I don't know, 
checks out. And uh, yeah, I could probably go on on this, but unfortunately we have limited time. I'm sure you're going to all remind me on Twitter if I left out someone important. Uh, now for the next question, it's a slight change in mood. Uh, Kevy Kong went all the way in with this one. Um, the question was, how do fighters impact your opinion of them when they voice their political, religious, cultural opinions? Example, Colby being obnoxious with his Trump shtick, Habib's opinion that women don't belong in combat sports, etc. Okay, first, I like to think that professionally, I'm able to keep a healthy distance. I've done interviews and written several pieces on people whose positions I don't necessarily agree with or like in any way. And I don't really think that it affected the final product or, to be honest, necessarily my enjoyment of writing the stories. We're all layered humans. And it has kind of been the exercise of my professional lifetime, uh, to be honest, to balance what I feel is harmful neutrality in the face of injustice and making sure I'm not just being a self-centered privileged brat performing wokeness where it doesn't belong. Um, so if anyone has any tips on how to get that right, I'll take them. Um, having said that, as a person, not a journalist, I do reserve myself the right to be turned off by people who I believe hold harmful opinions. Uh, we're seeing it a lot with COVID denialism and anti-mask census, which are obviously not just matters of personal opinion, but like legitimately dangerous positions. Um, more than a quote-unquote shtick for me, for instance, is Covington's support of a president who has taken existentially threatening positions. To me, that's an existentially aggressive stance. Um, I hear a lot of people defending Covington with the argument that, oh, he doesn't believe all that stuff. He's just saying it for the attention, which it, I don't think is that much better, <laughs> honestly. Like, is it really that much worse to be a person with nasty beliefs than it is to be a person who is willing to spread nasty beliefs for fame and money? I personally don't think so. So, yeah, that makes me feel less warm toward him. Uh, with Habib... It's more complicated because there's a cultural layer to it. And again, I need to understand that we aren't all raised under the same conditions. Um, would I want to have a lively conversation about the comedy of Chris Farley over a couple of matcha lattes with Habib? Not really, no. Uh, as a woman, do I feel personally hurt by notions that we are inherently not meant to occupy the same spaces as men? Yes. Uh, but as someone who was brought up in a culture that is also extremely harmful and toxic toward women, though in different ways, I try to keep some perspective on that criticism, which is not to say that it's okay in any way. I think my views on how women should be treated have made have been made pretty clear by me over the past few years. But it is to say that it's not always super simple, at least not for me. But in any case, uh, speaking more broadly, I guess the answer is that uh, some of these quote-unquote opinions uh, do change how I feel about certain fighters personally, the same way that any person having any stances that I find harmful impacts my opinion of them. But I like to think that I still do my job the same way. Uh, now Rizzo asks, 
So I saw, and this one I'm dedicating um, to our lovely producer and editor, Jordan. Uh, so I saw you got a Rocco's Modern Life t-shirt the other day. That's a little scary that people are this um, aware of the happenings of my everyday life, but I do make the happenings of my everyday life very public. So I guess that's on me. Um, the question, who was your favorite character on the show? I, it's obvious. Bev Bighead, uh, she's tough. She terrifies her husband, but she can also be kind and friendly and she can be pretty horny too. So relatable. Though I must say that Philbert's neurosis and affinity for the sauce um, kind of speak to my soul. Um, now one from Kairos, uh, who is, by the way, a must follow on Twitter and honestly just makes me smile by existing. He asked uh, a while back on Well Actually, you spoke on vulnerability and mentioned Ryan's pen and the battles he faced after a loss. That story broke me down. I was wondering, were there any stories regarding loss or in general for martial artists that broke you down to hear? If so, which? Uh, there are so, so many. Like I had a, a very tough time zooming in uh, on one uh, regarding losses specifically I want to say that it broke me but I do remember talking to Shane Christian after he was knocked out terribly by Aaron Pico and by the time we talked he was at a better place but he did tell me that the loss sent him into this big depression um, and he was a veteran uh, like a, a army veteran he'd been hurt in Iraq and he talked about how the loss sort of dug up his trauma, like his PTSD. Um, that shook me, especially when you think about how when you lose a fight like that, you also end up having to relive that loss over and over and highlight reels and stuff. You had to read that you were demolished and starched and see the image. Um, so I, I can't even imagine like times like these, I kind of wonder and, and I guess get a little more mindful about the vocabulary, about the way uh, we react to these big moments in MMA. Um, I mean, I think we all react emotionally. We all celebrate and we're all in awe. Like we just did that with uh, the Joaquin Buckley's big knockout. But uh, I try to keep in mind that there is somebody else on the other end of the knockout and you know, they signed up for it, whatever, whatever. A lot of them will take it in stride like Ben Askren did. But to me, just there is a reminder that there is a human there. And it uh, imagine like lose taking that that L and just having to have it rubbed in your face repeatedly. I mean, my L's are all taken privately and I still have a very hard time coping with them. Uh, but that's between me and my therapist. Um then not relating to losing fights in particular, but one story that did break me down was uh, Ryan McDonald's. He was uh, scheduled to compete at Dana White's Contender Series 6. I think that was 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and the day he was supposed to fly out, his 29-year-old um, brother, whom he was very close to, committed suicide. Um McDonald withdrew from the fight, obviously. And then, you know, he was 24 at the time and he found himself not being able to get to the opportunity of a lifetime and dealing with the unspeakably sad 
practical things uh, that come with a situation like this, like cleaning up his brother's apartment. Uh, it's, I can't even imagine. Um, and he told me how hard it was to watch the Contender Series fights. Uh, he'd done the interviews and the medicals already and uh, talked about how hard it was to even escape the tragedy because he lived in a, uh, I don't know if it was a small town, but it wasn't that big. I think like 30,000 people or something. Um, I published a story on MMA Junkie. You can Google it. But yeah, it was just such a sad, sad situation. But um, he talked about how his brother was a dreamer and how he inspired him to pursue his dreams. And he did uh, make it to the UFC eventually. I think he lost his first two. I'm not really sure if he's still in the roster. But uh, by the time we did that interview, that was, uh, I don't remember if it was Valor where he was fighting. Uh, but yeah, that one really stayed with me um, so much so that I remembered it. I remember it to this day. Uh, and more broadly on um, the theme of just vulnerability, there are a few fighters who addressed uh, depression and mental health issues generally. Max Holloway, after that bad stretch in 2018, he said in an interview, and this is a quote, depression is real. It's crazy. And all these guys as athletes that keep thinking we're superheroes. I like to think I'm a superhero, but superheroes got to fight their demons too sometimes. Um, I thought that was just such a powerful, powerful quote and just uh, truly a badass thing for him to come out and say that. Um, Robert Whitaker, obviously, uh, he spoke very candidly about his own battles with depression and you know, not wanting to leave the house, let alone train for a fight that at the time I think was a, an attempt at the title fight with Calvin Gaslam. Um, and Jacare, uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza was all, also open about his dealings with burnout. Um, he talked about, you know, a time of his career where he was just sitting in a car and crying before going into practice. Uh, and how he had to seek professional help to get over it, which might not sound like that big of a deal, but I think in a quote-unquote macho sport like MMA, um, it's not just a brave, but honestly just a helpful move to make. You know, you're really sending a positive message for other people that look up to you. So, yeah, I think these guys are complete badasses. There are several others who addressed uh, mental health issues, but these are, were the ones that really came to mind. Um, moving on to the next question. Eric Stinton asks, what's an underrated part of Brazilian culture that you think should be more well-known or popular? This answer is probably going to vary depending of when you ask me. But right now, I'd probably say the way we vote is uh, something I'm proud of, particularly after seeing the clusterfuck uh, in the U.S. Sorry. Uh, voting is mandatory in Brazil, which teen me who read Ayn Rand thought it was such an invasion of our rights as citizens. But uh, now I, I approve of it. I think it made the idea of voting very ingrained uh, and just a normal part of our everyday lives. Clearly, it backfires, hence the fact that we have the literal devil as a president right now, but such is democracy. Um, our elections are all electronic urns. It's safe. It's practical. We have results immediately. There is no electoral college nonsense. So 
good on us, I guess. Uh, but also, this is another great Brazilian habit. We uh, tend to buy big bottles of beer for the table and then drink it in small glasses. Originally, I didn't like that because pints looked so cool in movies and stuff. But our way keeps the beer cold. And also, you can drink more than the rest of the table and pay the same thing. So I've matured into that opinion as well. Next question comes from Daniel White, who asks, Alive or dead, not many as the sport is new, which MMA athlete would you like to interview? And the most impactful story you've ever covered, the one that got you thinking and stuck on your mind? Um, for the first part, which MMA athlete I would like to interview, this is not particularly sexy choice considering it's actually very achievable, but I would like to just sit down with Israel Adesanya and pick his brain on several subjects. Um, it just never worked out that I interviewed him, but I'm just truly curious about the way he thinks. He seems like a very interesting guy who could uh, share a lot, but it would have to be. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to just talk to him 15 minutes about an upcoming fight. You know, it'd have to be like a sit down and a whole thing. So hopefully that's in the cards for me. Um, and as for the story that stuck with me the most it was probably uh the souza brothers um herbert souza is a brazilian fighter who got into fighting because of his brother hercules uh hercules had one professional mma fight when he died he drowned um in a terrible accident uh, accident during an army drill in brazil he was um in training still to become part of the military uh so young um 18, I think, um, 18 or 19, if I'm not mistaken. And it was really just a very tragic situation. And at the time, uh, even though Herbert trained jujitsu with his brother, like he always said that his brother was a talented one and he didn't have any interest in becoming an MMA fighter, but he promised Hercules that he would live his dream for him. Um, and, I interviewed their mom too for the story. Her name is Rosa and I was just blown away by how much of a warrior she is. She fought the army like tooth and nail to get to the bottom of what really happened to her son because they knew they weren't getting the straight story right away. Um, she's still fighting. Like she has a civil lawsuit going on and, and she really got behind Herbert's career. Uh, she was in his corner multiple times. Um, just both the mom and the dad like really went all in. And it was just, yeah, a beautiful, heartbreaking story of a family who overcame a lot together and and still does. And they're so united. I'll never forget it. It was certainly one of the most difficult and maybe one of the most important things that um, I've ever written or will write. Um, next question comes from Newsom MMA. He asks, what was really, what was really running through your mind whilst interviewing Justin Ledet at UFC Media Day and all his answers were about proving the earth was flat? Yeah, that was a trip. A uh, little context is that I interviewed Justin at a media day in Brazil. And he decided that that would be a good time to um, share his views on the shape of the earth. I 
I had never talked to him. I didn't know him, but I kind of knew the minute we started rolling that something was up because he asked one of his corner people to film it. And I was immediately nervous. I mean, I'm generously a, na- a nervous person and I am a very nervous interviewer. So <laughs> the whole situation just made me freaked out off the bat. And lo and behold, that was why he wanted the thing on camera. Uh, Honestly, what was going through my mind was just concern about how I would follow it up because I realized this could go out into the world and I didn't want to tell him to like fuck off. But I also didn't want to give people the impression that I was feeding into the nonsense or agreeing with it in any way. And I also couldn't tell if he was joking or not, which made the whole thing so uncomfortable and tough to navigate. Uh, I think looking back that I handled it as well as one could. Uh, I tried to switch the subject back to fighting. I kept it brief and I ended it with a good luck with that. Um, and then Justin got knocked the fuck out by Johnny Walker. So there's that. Uh, next, uh, from Rory, he asks if Mario Kart featured MMA fighters instead of Nintendo characters, which fighter would have the best cart? Um, that is actually an excellent question. And unfortunately, I don't think I'm the best person to answer it because I probably stopped playing Mario, like my last experience with Mario Kart was Super Super Mario or like Mario 64. I don't know. I forget the names, but the one that we played on the Nintendo 64. Uh, that's just how old and out of touch I am. But out of instincts, I would say Valentina Chevchenko. I just think she would have the most like well-balanced cart and would probably be very effective for any kind of player. Um, the music guru, that's an adequate name because uh, of the question, he asked, Parte uno, also uh, speaks several languages, cultured, cultured man. Uh, what is, are your favorite genres of music? Parte dos, name your top five bands, music collections you could bring with you if you were on a deserted island. Okay, go. And no, Jean-Claude is not a musician. Prepare to be very disappointed, music guru and everyone else, because I'm just going to go ahead and say there is a very strong dissonance between how I look and what I listen to, um, meaning that I look like the kind of person who would be into The Clash, but is actually unironically into the Backstreet Boys. Um, I guess I'm very popish and very much attached to the music of my teenage years, which makes my Spotify a very confusing experience. Uh, today, my most listened to stuff would probably be Doja Cat, Whitney Houston, and Fall Out Boy. So, uh, yeah, yeah, very, very diverse group. I'm obsessed with the divas. That was actually what I asked my boyfriend um, what he would have expected me to listen to just by looking at me. And he said that he certainly wouldn't have expected that I would be such a big divas fan. Um, I go through a lot of 80s faces. Um, I was extremely emo, in case you couldn't tell by my entire personality. I uh, went through a serious 90s hip hop phase about three years ago. So no point in trying to make sense of any of it. 
Um, the second part of the question, top five bands, music collections. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but yeah, like top five music stuff uh, I would take to an island with me and don't say I didn't warn you would probably be Oasis, My Chemical Romance, Madonna, The Carpenters and The Foo Fighters. And I apologize for nothing. Next up is Bald Mike, who asks, Am I correct that Sudden Death is the best Van Damme movie, or is my judgment swayed by being a Penguins fan? Uh, I shall start by saying that you, sir, have single-handedly restored my faith in mankind. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the best, because Bloodsport is objectively the best movie ever made in the history of movies, period. Uh, but Sudden Death would be my second favorite. Um, in fact, I have recently rewatched it for the piece that I mentioned that's coming out on Fanby today. And I can guarantee you that it absolutely holds up. It's the perfect action movie. It has fights. It has explosions. It has people in giant penguin suits dying gruesome kitchen-related deaths. It has the most absurdly evil villain who's ever been written. Um, it has a helicopter. It's funny, but it's also dark as fuck. And I am absolutely serious when I say it's just really well shot. Just very well made. Uh, the scenes at the stadium are so good. Uh, they used actual hockey players. So I was told by my boyfriend because I wouldn't know. Um, the acting is great. And yes, again, I will not accept any Van Damme slander in this space. He's always been a great underrated actor who only got better in time. Um, but in Sudden Death, he's actually really fucking good. And I don't think your Penguins fandom had anything to do with it, considering the movie was my first and last exposure to a Penguins game. And I love it so much. It's a 10 out of 10. And anyone who argues otherwise is foolish and uneducated. Uh, my next, this, the next question is actually a three-part question by the amazing Wardsmith Wench, yet another uh, Twitter must follow. Um, I'll answer these in quick succession. The first question, who do you think would run the fastest 50-yard dash in the UFC, male or female? I'm going to go with John Jones just because he wins at everything. Uh, if you could pick one for the rest of your life, would it be wine or beer? It would be wine because it's not as filling. You need less of it to get the desired effect. It works with every season and it makes you look uh, like a classy drunk. Would you rather get your chin cracked by Nganu or your leg shattered by prime Pedro Rizzo? This, I think, will be a controversial take, but I am going with the chin cracked. I feel like whatever happens there, even if it is my untimely death, is going to be quick. Whereas the leg is going to bother me for a long time and I am not the kind of person who thrives in adversity. Um, next question is from Evan who asks, now that Nicole Price is firmly contending for the 170 pound division most wholesome fighter award with his love fest tie versus Cowboy Cerrone, what does Stephen Thompson have to do to solidify his welterweight good guy gold? That was a tough read for a Brazilian. I'll tell you that, Evan. I gave it my best shot. Uh, to answer your question, 
Obviously, him and Damian Maya would have to face in a trial by combat. And by that, I mean they will both have to roll around on soft grass with 15 St. Bernard puppies. The first to get tired loses. Um, next is from Shane Burketta. I, I feel like this is like everyone's revenge on me because everyone struggles with my last name and now I'm just watching everyone's. Uh, so I'm sorry and I'm glad that you get to have your revenge. But Shane Burketta asks, what's the best type of pasta? I'm thinking rigatoni, but I'm currently being swayed by ravioli. We all know that tagliatelle can go straight to hell. Um, I'm going to defend the tagliatelle a bit, uh, but I do respect your energy and forcefulness on the matter. My answer would be fettuccine on a regular day and yoki if I'm feeling nasty. Next question comes from Susio Boy, who asks, if you could make any fight happen, what would it be? I'm not going to say Habib versus Tony Ferguson, because my therapists say that it's a chapter I need to close if I want to truly begin the healing process. So right now, I would probably strangle a medium-sized, non-cute mammal for a rematch between Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg. Uh, next from DJ Skipped Beats. What are your top five favorite gifts? Okay. Um, the mean girls, girls saying I just have a lot of feelings. Uh, the little boy being interviewed uh, and he's laughing and then he immediately starts crying. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite saying lucky under his breath. Alexis from Shit's Creek saying love that for you. And a classic, Rihanna rolling up the window of her car because she clearly doesn't have time for any of our bullshit. Next, Sean Danny asks, what are the top five fruits available in Brazil that you can't get most other places? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not much of a fruit person, so I'm probably not the best person to answer. Probably acai, like the real stuff, not the frozen whatever that you guys have abroad. Uh, good fresh coconut water. Um, I know other people have pineapples, but ours are awesome. And cupuaçu, which I don't even know if you guys have anywhere else. But mostly if it's not uh, made out of chocolate and it doesn't get me drunk, I tend to lose interest. From Toby Larson. One other one that I would love to hear, most backtracking trash talker who dishes it and then walks it back the most. That's actually like a low-key deep question. I didn't like... I wasn't able to dig deep enough to come up with like an all-time answer, but I thought of a recent example, uh, Paulo Costa. He was doing the dumbest, most ch childish shit uh, before fighting Adesanya, and then he started complaining that Adesanya didn't respect him post-fight and stuff. Just not a good look in general. Next up, Natkav MMA asks me, which interview do you wish you could do all over again? Not because it was bad the first time, but because it was that good. Um, honestly, I know he gets a lot of hate, but I talked to Kevin Lee twice and both were just amazing interviews that I would love to do over. I just think he's sharp and authentic and talking to him, like it felt like he was actually listening to the questions and really thinking about the answers, which seems like a given, but isn't. And I, I mean, I get it, especially when you do a lot of interviews, it can get really repetitive. And we talk to a lot of fighters in the middle of the weight cuts and whatnot. Uh, I'm not always expecting the best mood or the most elaborate answers, but yeah, 
he was just very thoughtful and uh, an interesting person in general both times um and i'm gonna add another couple more that i don't actually consider interviews because the people i talk to for the podcast i to me it's just a chat it's not a formal interview or anything but uh talking to Laura Senko for, well, actually was a lot of fun, um, as well as Esther Lynn and Julie Kedsey. I've just felt like I could talk to them forever. Um, no offense to any of my other guests, by the way, I could talk to all of you forever. Um, Dave Platt sent, could you shed any light on which fighters are big in Brazil right now? And since Anderson retired, who is the face of Brazilian MMA? Um, off the bat, I have a bit of a tough time with Brazil-related questions because I'm in a weird position. Like, I, I haven't really catered to the Brazilian market for four years, I guess, since I started working for MMA Junkie. I don't really consume Brazilian TV. Uh, my Twitter is in English, and I'm not even physically in Brazil right now. So just a disclaimer that I don't really have that big of a pulse on what's going on. Uh, but having said that, I don't think there will there is or will ever be a face of Brazilian MMA quite like Anderson Silva. Um, it's a different time for the sport in Brazil. The craze is gone. People aren't, I guess, as excited about it is my perception. And also the way that we consume sports, not just MMA, like sports in general, is just different than it was when Anderson was champion. Um his pool, I guess, not just among MMA fans, but in the mainstream, which I would only compare to the type of fame Vitor Belfort had uh, for a while, is something that I don't think we'll ever see again. Uh, but I'd say Belfort and uh, Jose Aldo are still probably the most popular of the actually active fighters. If you're speaking in terms of not just the people who consume the sport regularly, uh, Amanda Nunes, I think, is up there right now because... Brazilian sports culture is particularly geared toward winners, and she's obviously uh, very, very good at winning. Uh, Chris Cyborg, she's just been a, a, a big name for a while. She's very much a pioneer, and I think she's still uh, very much up there. Um, and these would probably be the people that if you ask just a random person off the streets, they might actually know what you're talking about. Other than that, I did feel some excitement for Buhashinha. Um, obviously, he lost the title bit. But I think he has a style that is very easy for everyone to appreciate. And he obviously welcomes the attention and uses it in his favor. Um, Johnny Walker, I think, was like hot for a while there in Brazil. Jessica Andrade, I think, has really established herself as a fan favorite. Again, a very like accessible style of fighting but not just that like she's a very uh warm and charismatic person in interviews i don't know how much of that translates to u.s audiences but for the brazilian audiences it's, it's very apparent and perhaps less popular in the mainstream but among the not necessarily hardcore fans uh i'd say mackenzie dern and amanda hibas are are sort of there but i don't know how skewed my perception is by the bubble that's what i meant i probably missed uh, obvious people, but that's what comes to mind. Um, this one is from Wilson. Which fighter style do you think you would like to have slash would suit you best if you were a professional yourself? For this one, I actually consulted my boyfriend because he has trained with me for a few months and we decided together on uh, Shogun. 
I'm what one would loosely call a striker, uh, since Muay Thai is my preference. I've been training it for about 11 years, but I'm terrible. So, uh, yeah, I would never fight. I'm just very, I'm just terrible at fighting and sparring. I'm, I get scared easy. So that's what I mean by loosely, very loosely a striker, but that would be my preference. Um, I fight more planted which is code for I am poorly conditioned and therefore I avoid moving. Um, my reflexes are shit, meaning you won't see me ducking and dodging, meaning I have no other choice but to stand and bang. Um, I do have a sneakily high output and some power. So I'm basically what Shogun would be if he had grown up as a couch potato who eats uh, lots of refined sugar and bruises like a peach. And uh, lastly, uh, the Ottoman asks, what are the current violent Brazilian sweetheart power rankings? And I'm just going to go through a quick top five and throw Amanda Hibas out there as an honorable mention. Um, but my top five would be Damian Maia, Jessica Andrade, Vicente Luque, Glover Teixeira, Junior Dos Santos. And on that rare, non-depressing note... I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. I'm very sorry if I didn't get to your question, but if that was the case, chances are that it was either on a subject that I addressed in another answer or something that maybe I want to dedicate a full episode to, or maybe it was just too smart of a question and I didn't know how to answer it. Either way, I truly appreciate all of them and all of you, unless you are the kind of person who would yell at a Starbucks barista who asks you to wear a mask, in which case no one likes you, not even your children, uh, especially your children. Um, this has been the best camp of my life. See you next week.